All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump in. I'm, I'm a little, you know, weirded out a little bit here, to be honest with you, because I'm not used to speaking this early. Um, so it is going to be a little bit different today, but we are going to jump into, we're actually in, I believe, week four of our A Word from the Wise series. We've been looking at the book of Proverbs. We've been studying it. We've been kind of learning from it. The last couple of weeks, we've been kind of looking at some of the characters in it. We've been looking at kind of the, the, the basis for it. Uh, last week, we kind of begun kind of the, the second part, really, of our series. And basically, the week before last week, we, we focused on kind of the characters in Proverbs or the people that we see, the cast of characters. We talked about the fool. We talked about the, the simple. We talked about the mocker. And then we also talked about the wise. We talked about Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly and the father and son and all these relationships that take place. Well, now that we're kind of in the second part of our series, now we're going to, as we started last week, we're going to be talking specifically more about the wise individual and characteristics that we see in Proverbs that we want to emulate if we're going to be wise, if we're going to be people that really understand, that take God's knowledge and wisdom and direction and learn how to apply them to our lives. We've been talking about this the last several weeks. We are going to probably talk about it throughout the series, so just be ready. I'm going to burn this word into your head like you're going to always remember it. You're going to wake up in the middle of the night having nightmares, hearing this word over and over again. But We've talked about it. It's the word hokmah. It's the word hokmah. It's the Hebrew word for wisdom that means skill for living. Okay? So as we look at these things, as, as we study these things, as we look over the next several weeks at, at, at aspects that need to be a part of our lives, that need to kind of almost be fruit of our lives, if we're going to be numbered as a wise individual, we need to remember these are skills. Okay? One thing I want you to understand about a skill that's important Okay? No matter how skilled you are at something, you can always practice more to become, guess what? More skilled. Make sense? Okay? You can say, hey, I'm really good at playing the piano. Great. I'm so glad. But the more you practice, the more you work at it, the more skilled you are going to become at it. In this, I don't want you to walk out of here going, boy, you know, I'm, I, you know last, last week we talked about the idea of diligence and, and the idea of diligence versus laziness and those sort of things. And you go, boy, I'm not a very diligent person. I'm not, I'm not a wise person. Listen, listen, it's a skill. Skills have to be learned. Skills have to be worked on. So even if you go, you know, I'm not necessarily the best at this particular area, it's okay. It's all right. Because what we want to do is we want, and what God really wants to do is to help us to do better in these areas. It's a skill that we're learning, that we're working on. And when we can do these things, it really takes our, our, our wisdom that God wants to help us and give us to another level. Okay? So again, remember that. Hokmah, we're looking at skills that God wants to give us for living. This week we're going to be talking about this. The wise person walks in humility. The wise person walks in humility. And this is one of those that quite honestly kind of goes against our culture and goes against our world. Because a lot of us, we want to look wise, we want to look knowledgeable, we want to look intelligent, not so that we can be humble, but so that we can kind of walk around like a peacock strutting our intellectual might. You know, I mean, how many times, let's be honest, okay, let's just be honest here. Maybe I'm the only one. I seriously doubt it though. Okay? You say words 
that you know the meanings of and you say them because you think it's going to make you look more intelligent. Okay? You don't say, I'm sad. You say, you know, I'm quite melancholy today. You ever do that? You kind of throw around these things. I don't remember what uh, old show it was, so you have to forgive me. It may have been, like, you remember the Beverly Hillbillies? Remember that show that used to be on? Okay, none of you? Great, thank you. Okay, okay, yeah, thank you. Okay, thank you, Karen. Karen remembers, yes! Okay, and if I remember correctly, it may have been this show, it may have been another one, I just know it was in black and white, okay? I'm going that way. And I know, I think the Beverly Hillbillies got in color, but the early days, okay? And I remember Jethro Bodine. You remember Jethro Bodine? And I remember something about that, he had like a fourth grade education. That was like amazing for the, the, these people from the Ozarks, okay, which, which, which complete, you know, transparency, that's where, from, that's where the area like my father's from and where I'm from as well, you know, so don't you dare make fun of the Beverly Hillbillies. So, but they always would say something like, he would say something and it was really not really intelligent. He really wasn't that smart, but then they would say something, you know, there's Jethro, you know, throwing around his education again, you know. We tend to do that. We tend to, oh, look how smart I am. Look how wise I am. And it's sometimes in complete and opposite contradiction of really what wisdom should be and what scripturally wisdom talks about as far as what it should be. So let's open up the Bible. Let's look at Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16, verses 18 through 20, this is what it says. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit and among the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Verse 20, whoever gives heed to instruction prospers and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. See, one of the things that we need to understand about where true wisdom comes from is it comes from a place of humility. It starts there. Because here's the thing. If we're proud, if we think we know it all, and I don't want to get too far into this because I don't want to you know, share something I'm going to share later, we cannot listen to what God is asking us to do. Pride is one of those things that whether we understand it or not is something that can so quickly creep into our lives and destroy us from the inside out. Okay? It is something that as we let fester and grow in us, it really kind of has those, those feelings of being small. And all of a sudden, before we know it, we turn around and there is something massive that we have to deal with that can literally destroy everything. So this morning, what I'd like to look at before we move into our time of worship and, and, and baptism is I want to look at some benefits of humility. I want to look at some benefits of humility to help us grow in wisdom. Okay, because remember, this is a skill. We're kind of learning this together. We're sharpening our skills. We're learning how to be more humble so that in turn we can gain wisdom and understanding and all the things that God really wants for us. So the first thing, the first benefit of it is really humility prevents destruction. Humility prevents destruction. Now listen, hear me before I continue. I am not saying that that doesn't mean that if you're wise, there's going to be no destructive things that enter into your life. There are things that are going to come that are going to be hard that you're going to have to deal with, okay? But really what wisdom and humility does, it, it prevents us from, from basically what I like to call scorched earth destruction, 
okay? There are times where the things we do and the things we say are not going to be good and they're going to cause things to be destroyed in our life. They could be relationships. They could be, um, you know, our finances. They could be uh, in, 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 in a marriage or other things. But what I'm talking about here is if we are humility people, if we're people with humility, it prevents this kind of this scorched earth where everything has been destroyed, everything has been wiped away. But look here what it says, Proverbs 28, 26, those who trust in themselves are fools. Remember we talked about the fool a couple weeks ago, they're fools. But those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. Those who walk in wisdom and humility are kept safe. You see, here's what tends to happen when we have this proud, haughty understanding of life. We stop, in a lot of ways, listening. We stop observing. We stop living our lives in a way where something is greater than we are. And we tend to trust in our own abilities and our own understandings and our own views of things. And I don't know about you, but when I do that, things get broken in me. Things get broken in my relationships. I think one of the problems that we see with the world today is we have decided as a culture that, you know what, you get to make your own decisions. You get to decide what's best for you. But then the question becomes, well, but, but what if what's best for Aaron isn't best for Josh? How do we come to that understanding? How do we understand that, that, that this isn't going to be best for him? And is that enough? Or is that okay? Is it all about me and, and desiring what I should want? And here it, is, it doesn't matter if it, if it hurts Josh or Bethany or whoever. All that matters in that moment is that I desire this. This is what I want. This is what I think is best. And can I tell you from, from the honesty of my heart, that is going to lead to destruction. That is going to lead to broken things in your life. Because the bottom line is this. You don't know what's best. You get that? I know that's hard sometimes to hear. You don't know what's best. How can I prove it to you? Easy. I've talked about this before. What are you going to have for lunch today? Now some of you go, oh, well, listen, the, the roast is in the oven. Oh, we're going to, I almost got in trouble. I was going to say, we're going to Chick-fil-A. You can't do that today. Okay. <laughs> we're going to go to uh, Raising Cane's. How are you there? There you go. Another chicken place. You may say that. That's what we're going to do. Really? You're sure? Absolutely. We have plans. We're ready to go. Great. So on your way to Raising Cane's, your car, two tires blow out. And now you're stuck by the side of the road trying to get the tires fixed. And maybe you go to Raising Cane's for dinner but you don't go from lunch. You realize that when you think you know it all, your understanding of things are so minute that you really don't even know what's going to happen in the next five minutes. But yet somehow in our pride, we think we can make decisions that are best on our own. Now listen, hear me here. God calls us to make decisions. But God also says, I will lead you and help you in those decisions. We're not talking about being paralyzed. We're talking about understanding who to go to to help guide us in those decisions. Listen, the proud trust in their own decision-making and their own understanding, and that can lead to destruction. It can lead to destruction. Okay? 
So, so much of this is understanding that, you know what, when we humble ourselves, when we understand that, you know what, I don't know it all. I need to look to others that have wisdom. I need to look to, more importantly, the Lord. That that can help us on our journey through this life. It can help us to walk in wisdom. I, I don't know about you, but... You know, we talked a little bit about culture, and I'd like to try to sometimes help us to see the relevance of where we're at as a culture, and sometimes how that sometimes is, is in contrast to what the Word of God says, and sometimes, thankfully, when it does happen, it doesn't happen as much as it used to, where, where it's actually congruent in, in what's happening in our culture. But, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I remember hearing these words a lot, and maybe it was... Uh, several years ago, so maybe I'm aging myself a little bit, but when it came to making decisions and doing what you wanted to do, and it's my truth versus your truth, and you can have your truth, but this is my truth, it was this concept or this saying, and maybe you heard it before, it was it's basically, we shortened it to this idea of, well, well, you do you. You ever heard that? You do you. You know, what that basically means is, whatever you think is best, you do. So if you think that's best, hey, you do you. You know, I'll do me, you know, you can't tell me what to do, but you do you, okay? And I remember hearing that and, 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 and seeing kind of the, the results in, in my life when, when, when I did that, but also in the, the results that I saw in other people's lives. And, and, but that's kind of our culture's mentality. You, you do you. You do you. You do what you think's best. Don't listen. You don't have to listen to what God says. You don't have to listen to what God's word says. You don't have to worry about what, what maybe a, a wise parent or a wise friend may see or understand. You do you. That's, that's, that's what we need to do. You do you. I have a question for you, though. And I have to ask myself this, the same thing. And it's real simple. And it, it's probably not proper grammar, but it rhymes, and I like things that rhyme. Okay? You need to remember. It's in your notes. If I do me, where will I be? It's a simple question. If you actually do that, where will you end up? If you do you all the time, Scripture tells us that it will end in destruction. Okay? Sometimes we have to ask ourselves that question. If, if I do me, where will I be? So humility, one of the benefits of it is it keeps us from that scorched earth kind of destruction that can happen when we do it on our own and we think we know it all. Number two, humility always precedes honor. It always precedes honor. Look at this. It's real easy. It's real simple to see this. Proverbs 15, 33. This is what it says. Fear of the Lord teaches wisdom and humility precedes honor. Okay. This is important that we understand this. Because once again, this is not what we understand in our culture, in our world today. Let me give you an example. We say things like this. If you will honor me, if you will tell me how wonderful I am, if you will get me up on a stage and hand me a piece of gold hardware or even a piece of gold shiny thing that I would wear around my neck, if you honor me, then I will be humble. You do that? Then I'll be humble. You got to honor me first. You got to tell me how wonderful I am first, and then I can be humble. You know, that's not the way it works. That's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that you have to be humble first, and then honor comes. Now, here's the thing 
you need to have a quick understanding of what honor I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about the honor that you get at times that comes from other people. I'm talking about honor that comes from the highest place and the best place. I'm talking about the honor that comes from the Lord. The honor that will last forever. That is the honor that we want. That is the honor that we need. That is the honor that God wants to bestow on us. But we have to first understand that humility starts that process. We sometimes forget that. We sometimes want things to be in our way, in our order, the way we want them to be. But that's not what scripture teaches. It's not what he says. It's not what God's word says. And we do this with a lot of different things. You see, we do this with so many things that are kind of like, because this is how we want it. This This is how we think the order should be. For example, we want God's grace, but we don't want his guidance. You get that? We want God's grace. We want want to be saved from our sins, but we don't really or aren't really interested in the guidance that God wants to give us with that. We want God's promises, but we don't want to follow God's precepts. Okay? We want God's promises. Oh, I, I want this promise. God, I'm claiming this promise for me and my family, and that's great, but we're not willing to do what needs is necessary to make the promise be fulfilled in our lives. Get it? We want blessings but we're not willing to follow the blueprint that God gives us to bring forth those blessings in our life. You see, what's so great about Proverbs, what's so great about God's word is we see this over and over again. Like God says, listen, I want to do these things. I want to bring forth these things in your life. But you've got to understand there has to be a way that you follow to get there. Humility and favor and this idea of being lifted up all these things that God wants to do has an order and the order is it starts with humility and then honor comes look at Proverbs 22 4 the reward for humility listen the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life okay now I don't know about you but that sounds pretty good to me I want some of that you know like, I don't know, I mean, maybe you're just sitting there going, yeah, yeah, I'm good. Nah, I'm good. No, no, I, that's, uh, yes, more of that, please, for me. I want that for my life. I want that. And what's great is this, God wants to give it. But where does it start? Humility and fear of the Lord. Like we talked about several weeks ago, that's not this idea of cowering or being afraid of God, but to have that reverence of him and that awe of him, to be in in worship with him. And when we take those two things and we place them together, there is a reward for that type of life, both in this life and in the life to come. Proverbs 18, 12, haughtiness goes before destruction again, but humility precedes honor. Listen, we're going to get into this a little bit later, so I don't want to get into it too much. But for some of us, we've got our order mixed up. We want so desperately to be honored, but we're not willing to, be humil- not willing to have humility first. We're not willing to serve first. Hear me here. We tend to have the attitude that, yes, I'll do what God wants me to do as long as it's this. Can I help you out with that? 
that's not living a life of humility and fear of the Lord. That's living a life that says, God, you get with my program. That is, in some ways, one of the highest level of pride that you can have. Because what you're saying is basically this. You ready for something pretty blunt? God, you don't know a, you don't know a lick of what you're talking about. God, I know what's best. I know what I need. And in that, we see over and over again this destruction, and we never see godly honor given in that time. Listen, we may see honor given in the form of a piece of a a, a golden little statue that's one day going to burn up anyway. But we'll never see the godly honor that really our heart desires and that God wants to give. It's kind of interesting, kind of off topic. But I don't know. I I don't watch these things, guys. If you do, that's great. There's nothing wrong with it. But I'm just not really interested. So that's kind of where I'm at. But, you know, it dawned on me a couple years ago. You know, maybe I was going through a news site or something like that. And it was just, I think it was the Oscars. Is that the thing with the golden man statue? Is that the Oscars? I get confused. There's the Grammys, the Oscars, the... Joe Bob's, I mean, who, I know, they got all sorts of stuff. And you know what? I was sitting there, I was kind of watching, I was reading it, not watching, I was reading an article and somebody won best actor or the best movie or whatever they give those things out for. And they're holding it. And there was, I'm not saying it was the Lord, but it was, it was, it may have been, was I had this moment where I thought to myself, wow, you know what that really looks like? A golden idol. I mean, here's this golden man. And what are they giving it out to? People that we want to honor. Look how great they did. You know, again, you may get one day a golden statue of a man. And you may say, hey, you know, look, 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 I was honored. I can now be, have some humility. But I'll just be honest, a lot of times when I see that, it's not really humility, it's it's really kind of from, from false humility as they're holding this golden statue of this man. It kind of contradicts what Scripture tells us. Number three, and this is the best one, and this is the one I was really excited about getting to. Humility is perfected in Jesus. Humility is perfected in Jesus. Listen, <clears throat> this is... I, I know I may say this a lot. I got a lot of favorites, okay? But I love Philippians 2, 5 through 8. And then we're going to go on and continue on to 9 through 11. But listen to what it says. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. Another translation says attitude. I love that. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather... He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Some translations, again, say the word slave there. Being made in human likeness, verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Humility. I mean, listen, if you want to know what a humility person looks like, a wise individual looks like, you, we have the perfect example of him. His name is Jesus. He had 
every, I mean, think, I, listen, okay, I, I'm going I'm to challenge you on something here. Because I know for some of you, you've been saved longer than I've been alive. And that's great, and I celebrate that. But I need you to help me out with something. I need you to take a moment. I need you to take a step back. Not in your growth, not in your maturity, but in your understanding of something. Because sometimes what can happen is we hear this story so much, we forget the impact that it has. We forget that Jesus is in heaven with an intimate relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he humbles himself, hear me, hear me, to be born like you and me in the dirt. I talk about this at Christmas. You need to hear this. Jesus' birth was not pretty. Okay? It was not, oh, it was clean. He had a birth like everybody else did. And he was born in a horse trough. Listen, if you've never been in a barn, it don't smell good. You know why? Because there's animals there, and animals do animal things. It was smelly. It was dirty. He goes from heaven and the glory and the holiness and the purity of God the Father and him himself to being born out of a, what we think maybe is a 15-year-old girl. His first smells is that of manure. One of the things I love to study about is what heaven's going to be like, and I love when times they'll talk about what smells we're going to smell in heaven how our senses are going to just be like explode with the goodness of God. We, we sit there, we, we, we get so excited, oh, the smells of heaven. His first smell is hay and donkey and B.O. I mean, let's just be honest here, folks. This is who he comes to, the world he comes into. He lives for 33 years. He's not sinning one time, not one time saying, you know what, I'm tired of this. You know what, I'm God for goodness sake. How dare you say those things to me? How dare you act that way to me? Not once. He becomes the ultimate servant. He becomes the ultimate example for you and for me. And then if it wasn't enough at that point, he's willing to lay down his life as Paul writes, even death on a cross for us. And yet, can we be honest? And I'll, I'll point at myself in this. We'll sit there and say, nobody told me what a great job I did. Nobody asked me to do that. I wasn't honored the way I should have been honored at work or at school or at my home. My wife didn't do this or my husband didn't notice this. And our example is a God who humbled himself to be born as a human to come and to die for you and for me. And in that story, it's so beautiful, but you know what? We really have to go back because all the scripture is about Jesus. Every part of it is about Jesus. And you know, all this started in a garden. You know, the reason that Jesus had to come and that he was willing to come, it all started in a garden. And we found it in the story in Genesis 3. 
And there in that garden, there was a woman and, and, and the first man, and they were there. And in the story, Satan, the enemy, takes on the, the uh, comes as a serpent, and he begins to tempt Eve with Adam there. He begins to tempt them, and he begins to say things to them, and he begins to say, Did God really say? He begins to sow doubts into their minds. He begins to say, did God really say this? Can you really not do this? And she says, well, yeah, we can, we can eat from all these trees, but, but not from this one. Or will, will you die, really? And the serpent begins to tempt. And the serpent takes that temptation to an interesting place. And he says, listen, God knows that if you eat of that fruit, you'll become like him. You'll become just like God, knowing good from evil. And Scripture says in Genesis 3 that when Eve sees the fruit and she sees that it's pleasing to the eye, and then there's another couple of words that are very important. It says that she understood or believed basically what she would get out of it, meaning she would be like God. From the very beginning, pride has caused a human race a lot of problems. She takes the fruit and she eats it. She gives it to her husband and he eats it. They eat it in a lot of ways because in that moment, they say, I want to be lifted up. I want to be like God. I want to know the things that God knows and understand the things. And all these things flew into the world and basically made it an absolute disaster. But then Jesus comes. He's born in the filth, in the muck, in the mire. He lives a sinless life. And then in Matthew 26, guess what? We see another garden. And Scripture says that after Jesus and His disciples came together for the, the Last Supper and they taught Him many things and all these things, that He takes His disciples and they go to another garden. And there Jesus begins to pray. Scripture tells us that he's in such anguish. He's in such turmoil that literally, literally blood just begins to drain from his face. You realize that scientists have actually proved that is, that is possible? That is not some pie in the sky by and by. Oh, this will sound good. No, no, no. That happened. He was literally there. And Jesus says a prayer that is so powerful and it is such a symbol of humility. He says basically this. He says, he says, God, he says, Father, he goes, looking towards the cross, he says, this is, this is going to be unbelievably hard. He says, if there's any way, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. That's a way of basically saying if there's any way to this idea of cup and this idea, these were ideas in that mindset and in that time frame of suffering, of, of anguish, of pain. He said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And then he says, but not my will, but yours be done. You see in your notes, it's here. What was broken with pride in one garden was redeemed with humility in another garden. 
You know, maybe I'm just so simple-minded that I love when God does stuff like this. When God says, you know what was broken in one garden? What pride destroyed in one garden? I will show the ultimate act of humility in the other that will redeem what happened in the first. You know, sometimes we have this belief. And here's the thing. There is nothing more prideful than the pride that says, I cannot be forgiven. There's nothing more prideful that says, you know what, God, I've done too much. I've gone too far. You'll never be able to forgive me. In that concept, God says, listen, in your sin and in your your mess-ups and in your pride that happened in one garden, listen, for every human being, there's another garden. There's another place where humility can redeem what pride had destroyed where we can come before Him and say with humility, I am a sinner. I have messed up. I'm not who I should be. But I know You can change me. I know You can make me new. We're going to, in just a moment, celebrate this idea of baptism. This idea of going into the water one way and coming out another. I've said it before. Here's how this is going to work if you've never seen one of these before. There's going to be some people that are going to walk up these stairs. They're going to go from out here into this water. They're going to look one way. But when they get out and they come over here, they're going to look completely different. You see, that's what God's Spirit does. That's what God's forgiveness does. That's what His grace and mercy does. It changes everything. He takes what's broken and He redeems it. He takes what is sinful and makes it pure and righteous. Not because of us, but because of him. And look, because of what happened in that garden, because he was willing to say, not what I want, but God, what you want, you know what's best. I trust you and your plan. Look at how Philippians 2, 9 through 11 concludes. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and Every tongue acknowledge that Christ Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. You see, here's sometimes what we want. We want to live Philippians 2, 9 through 11 before Philippians 2, 5 through 8, and it doesn't work that way. It didn't work that way with Jesus, and it won't work that way with you and me. But look what God did when he humbled himself, when he came and died for you and for me. Let's close this up with some kind of application, some things that will help us. We're going to look at two verses to help us see this before we move into a time of worship. First Peter 5, 5, the second part, this is what it says. And all of you, all of you, dress yourself in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Michelle, let's keep that up there for just a second, because I want to show you guys. Let's go, there you go, perfect. I want to show you guys kind of this, this idea of, uh, that Peter gives us, this visual. He says to dress yourself, okay? We're going we're gonna to see this also kind of take place in James, but listen to what it says. He says, dress yourself. Now, I don't know about you, okay? But there was a time in my life when I could not dress myself. There was a time in my son's life where he could not dress himself. One of the great moments as a parent is when you realize my kid can dress themselves. All of a sudden, you have a little more time in the morning. 
okay? But for us that are older, those of us that are more mature, I'm assuming that most of us dressed ourselves this morning. Most of us put on our own shirt and our own shoes and things of that nature. Peter here is giving us some very interesting imagery when it comes to the idea of humility. He's saying, listen, God has basically laid out the clothing for you, okay? God has shown you what you need to be wearing. His, his, what you need to be wearing is basically Jesus, okay? He's shown you what it looks like. But now what you have to do is you have to take those clothes and put them on your body. You clothe yourself. Because God says, again, I oppose the proud, but I give grace to the humble. Now let's keep going. James 4. We see kind of the same concept from another uh, writer in the Bible. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Now, there are two words in both of these scriptures that are the same. There's probably a couple more, but the one I want to focus on is this idea of yourself. Both James and Peter understand this concept that humility is something you do. You do. Now listen, I mentioned this earlier to, uh, you know, to Gordon. He and I were talking. I don't have this book memorized. But to my knowledge, okay, I don't believe anywhere we see in Scripture. And again, you come up to me after service and go, here it is. I humbly accept that. But we see maybe very little if it's there. People praying for humility. We don't see somebody saying, God, make me humble. Now, we see God help me in these areas. God give me wisdom. All those things are great. But here in the New Testament, here in James and Peter, we see this concept of, of saying, listen, this is my responsibility. God is basically saying, you need to dress yourself if you are mature enough in this area in humbleness. Now, why would God do that? Why wouldn't that be something? I mean, because that sounds good. But we, we should pray for humility. That makes sense, doesn't it? Well, here's why I believe that is the case. I believe it is our responsibility to humble ourselves. Because when we humble ourselves, God will lift us up. Our job is to humble ourselves. God's job in that moment, as it says here, then he will lift us up. We do our part, and God always does his. But... And I will say this from personal experience, not third hand, from Aaron's life. I have found that if I am not willing to humble myself and God has to humble me, it usually leads to disaster and also some humiliation. You see, God will humble you but there won't be honor attached to it. Instead of honor, there'll be humiliation. Because I don't know about you, but when I've tried it my own way, and I've tried to make it all make sense to me, it, it, it's, it's, it's led to some pretty bad things, pretty hurtful things, some things that I wish that I could go back and fix, and I'm just so thankful that God forgives and that people forgive when I don't act the right way. And so, so, you, so you say, okay, well, so Aaron, I, I get it. So 
So, so what do I do? Where do I go from here? How do I live that life of humility? Okay, I'm going to make it real simple for you because it's not, it's not easy to do. But we're going to go back a little bit to this idea of 1 Peter. You clothe yourself every day in it. Every day you get up and you put it on. You understand how awesome it is that your God loved you enough to come down, live and die and rise again for you every day. Paul says, I die daily. We die to pride daily. We don't look at it and go, well, you know, I can die today and tomorrow I'm fine. Listen, if you do it that way, I'll make you a promise you'll have a prideful day that day. Somehow something will happen and you'll be like, yeah, look at me. It's something that we dress ourselves in every day. But listen, if you're waiting for me to say some magic words to help you to do that, it's not going to happen. It's your responsibility to dress yourself, to humble yourself. And here's what's awesome about this. The promises that are attached to these verses are powerful, true, and yes, and amen. Because one day, you may never, honestly, I'll just be honest, you, you may never get the honor on this earth. You may never get the applause or the, hey, the pat on the back. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that. that that's great. I, you know, we're, we're told to be encouragers, folks, okay? That, that's good. We don't live for it, but that's good. It's helpful. It, it, it means a lot. But one day, you're going to be lifted up. And you know what? That day, it'll be the applause of heaven. Not the applause of just some guy or just some gal. It'll be the applause of heaven that will ring. When our Father looks at us and says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Listen, hear me here. You can't really be a good servant if you're not willing to be humble. So even in that concept, those words that we want to hear so desperately, we see God's calling to a life of humbleness and service and understanding of those things. You know, today we're going to be obviously taking, not taking communion, sorry, um, having baptismal. You know, in a lot of ways, um, baptism is, is really a sign of humbleness. It's, it's a sign of us realizing that in some ways we can't fix here. Scripture tells us that the heart above all is desperately wicked. He doesn't say just the people you don't like have a desperately wicked heart. He doesn't say the people that you think are mean have a desperately wicked heart. If you, if you are human and you are breathing, guess what you have? A wicked heart. But what's so wonderful about what Scripture says is that God wants to give you a new heart. God wants to give you a forgiven heart and a changed heart. But one of the reasons that pride is so deceptively destructive is to accept a gift and to accept forgiveness 
there has to be a heart that is a heart of humility. If you're not going to be willing to be, have a, hu- a heart of humility, listen, you're going to have a very hard time accepting that your heart is wicked. Because if your heart's wicked, you're going to need somebody to fix it. And there's only one thing that can fix it. But if you refuse to believe that, my heart's fine. I'm good. I'm all right. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. It'll lead to destruction. That's why this is so important. That's why it's so vital that we understand this and live a life that follows the pattern that Jesus gave us. So listen, we're going to take a moment here. If you would, let's, let's just close our eyes, let's bow our heads, let's focus for just a minute. And I want to ask you a quick question before we move into worship and then baptismal. Have you humbled yourself to the point where you've realized that you need Jesus? Have you humbled yourself? Have you tried it your own way long enough where you've kind of finally come to this place where you know what? That new car didn't fulfill me. That new job didn't do it. That new wife didn't do it. That new thing didn't do it. I am still empty inside. I'm still trying to do it on my own and figure things out on my own. If that's you, listen, hear me out. There's only one thing that's going to do that. And his name is Jesus. Hear me. You've tried everything else. Why not try the creator of your whole existence? Why not try the God that said, I love you so much that I will leave all that stuff in heaven. And I'll come and I'll die for you. Why not allow him to take that heart of stone and instead, as Scripture says, give you a heart, a new heart of flesh that is tender and soft. Because here's the deal. Every single one of us needs Jesus. Every single one of us has to have Him if we're going to let this heart be transformed by Him. I know it's hard. And I know right now, even as I'm speaking, there's arguments going on in your head. No, it's not true. No, you really don't need this. You're fine. This isn't about being good or bad or fine or not fine. This is about being transformed, going from death to life. And that's what Jesus offers you. That's what we celebrate in baptism, is that visual of life change that only Jesus can bring. We're not perfect. We're still being transformed and redeemed as far, you know, or, you know, or fixed, basically, not redeemed, but, but restored, excuse me, by the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, we've been adopted into his family. So if that's you, whether you're online or here, we're going to pray in just a moment, but I wanted to start there. For the rest of us that maybe have accepted Jesus, but quite honestly, 
we've allowed the pride of life, we've allowed the, the self-sufficiency of life to kind of come in, and we need to once again look to a life of humility, look to a life of wisdom. Listen, for us that are there, we can first of all ask for forgiveness, but then daily, starting now, clothe ourselves in that every day. Clothe ourselves in that humility. Clothe ourselves in that knowing that, you know what? I can live this life that God called me to and follow the example of my Jesus. And whether honor comes in this life or honor comes in the next, it will come. And I trust God to bring it when it's necessary, needed, and appropriate. We can trust that. So no matter where you're at this morning, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. I'm going to ask you to join with me as we call out to our Father knowing He'll answer. So Father, we come to you right now. And God, for those that, that maybe have kind of been trying to do their own thing, they've been kind of trying to figure this thing out on their own when they don't have to. Father, I pray right now that they would just begin to call out to you that they would say, you know what, Jesus, I am a sinner. I have messed up. I haven't met your standard. But Jesus, I know that I've tried so many other things. And you know what? Today, I choose you. Today, I choose your forgiveness. I choose your grace. I choose your love. I believe that you are God's son. I believe that you died for me and rose again. And I accept your forgiveness and accept your lordship over my life. I accept that you are Lord and Savior. And I confess it with my mouth and, and have it hold, it hold it deep in my heart, believing that you are Lord. And God, you tell us when we do that, We've been changed. We've been a part of your family. And God, for the rest of us that have prayed that prayer before, but quite honestly, our life has not been a life that has been a life of humility. It's been instead a life of pride. It's been a life of what I want and what I think is best and what I desire. Father, I first of all, for all of us, myself included, that have fallen into that trap, we ask for forgiveness. Because you are holy. You are worthy. You are the one we look to. So forgive us, and we know you will. We know that you have. And now, Father, we ask that even now, we would begin to clothe ourselves in humility. That if we forget what it is to be, have a life of humility, we would simply go to your word and study and look at the life of your son, Jesus. And that we would then, again, realign ourselves to walk like that. Help us, Father. Help us. You're so good. And we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, at this time, we're going to move into a time of worship. So as that happens, um, we're going to get ready and prepared for our baptism service. Um, and so I just want to invite you that as, as we begin the time that you would just begin to enter in, you begin to prepare your hearts, um, you would allow the Holy Spirit to just, just speak to you and be with you during the worship time. And then after uh, we're finished with that, we'll move into the time of, of 
baptism and the time of celebration. So at this time, I'm going to ask everybody to stand. Stand if you would. And I'm just going to kind of bring us into this, this portion of our service with a quick prayer. And then we'll go ahead and start the, the worship. Father, we love you and you are worthy of our praise. Father, as we have talked about humility, one thing that a, a, a heart that is full of humility does is worships. A heart of pride will worship themselves and what they like and what they want. But a heart of humility says, you know what, Father? It's about you. I will worship you. I will stand in awe and fear of you because of all that you have done and all that you are and all that you're going to do. So, Father, as we move into a time of worship, I pray that we would look to you. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the price you paid. Bearing all my sin and shame, in love you came. Gave amazing grace. Thank you for this
Yeah.
You can be seated. Well, thank you again for being here. I know that we have some, some family that have come and especially welcome you to be here for this really special day for Christopher and Kenzie. And it's just such an honor for me to be able to um, baptize them and celebrate with them as their pastor and um, be able to be a part of this really amazing special time in their lives. And so each one of you being here is, is a witness and a testimony to, to God's saving grace, to his love and grace and mercy. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, Christopher is going to be first. So, Christopher, are you ready, buddy? Oh, boy. the microphone. Yeah. Oh, don't worry. It'll pick you up. Mr. Fred back there, he'll help us get it real good. So, here, can I borrow you for a second? Come here. You're so here. I can still do this. Ugh. This is Christopher. You doing good? Okay? Okay. Christopher, we talked about this in my office, um, and I want you to tell all these people here, why do you want to get baptized? I just want to. just want to? Yeah. It'd be pretty neat to do what Jesus has showed us to do, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's pretty neat. How's the water feeling? Feeling good? Feeling better now? Okay. Well, listen, it's a really cool thing to be able to, to baptize you. I, I'm glad that you, you're letting me. Okay? You ready to do this? Okay, I'm going let you. Yeah, sure. If you need your goggles, go right ahead. God doesn't mind. Oh, those are nice. Yeah. <laughs> You planning on doing some swimming here afterwards, or? No, no, so, okay. You ready? Get them in, yeah, there you go. And sometimes they get stick as well oh, inside. Yeah. So I have to well, you're not gonna be under the water too terribly long, okay? All right. I don't like being I don't blame you. Okay, now let's stand here. Let me get this, we have to swim. So I'm gonna get this over here for just a second so you can, everybody can see.
Kinsey, are you ready? Come this way. Get a girl. <laughs> okay, Christopher told us the water's nice and warm. We're in no hurry, are we? I know people want cupcakes, but they can wait. Right? Well, here, can I borrow you again? Are you okay if I held you? Does everybody see you? Oh, here we go. Still, still can do it. Still can do it. So this is Kinsey Shank. And Kinsey, why do you want to get baptized today? To be closer to God. To be closer to God. That's a great answer. I'm proud of you, Christopher, for being baptized. And I'm excited about what God has in store for both of you. Okay? You ready? Okay, I'm gonna set you down. Let's get this over here ready. Okay, you're gonna wanna step here on this, this first step for me. See it? Um, if you haven't noticed that this is kind of what this is all about, this is what this is all about, okay? You know, when Jesus came and he, he, he left his disciples, he said, go and make disciples. Help them find me. Help them know who I am. And when we baptize and celebrate, really what we're celebrating is Jesus and the salvation that he brings, and so this is just the first one of the steps. This isn't, this isn't the last step. It's not the first step. It's just a step we take as followers of Jesus to celebrate what he has done in us and through us. So listen, thank you so much for being here. We're gonna, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to celebrate. And we celebrate with cupcakes, okay? And so listen, I want to encourage you. You say, well, Aaron, I, I don't really know Christopher Kinsey all that well. Listen. You need to understand something. They're a part of our family, so you get to know them because they're great kids that need you and need not just their parents and their grandparents, which they have, that are encouraging them and helping them, but this is all of our place to encourage and love on the children and on the people that God has placed in our family here at this church. So celebrate with them. Have a cupcake with them. Pat them on the back. Tell them you're proud of them because we're proud of the decision that they made this morning, okay? 
So I'm going to pray, and then I believe back there already, I can think they're back there. Yes, they are. Cupcakes are ready. So enjoy yourselves. We'll celebrate. We'll put on a little music and fellowship together before you head on out. Father, we love you and we thank you. God, we thank you for each one that's here. We're thanking for the, thank you for those that are online that are also taking part of this in this with us. And Father, we're just so thankful for all that you have done. Because without you, without you, Father, two kids just got wet. But with you, God, with you, we celebrate two children of God who have been adopted into your family. So, Father, we join with the angels in heaven celebrating them, celebrating their choice. And, Father, I pray that you would equip their parents, that you would equip their grandparents, their friends, and every individual here in this church and every individual hearing these words to be encouraging to them, to share wisdom with them, to put their arms of love around them, because we love them so much, because you love them so much. We're so thankful for this morning and this time. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Again, thanks for being here. For those that are online, we love you. We hope you're doing well. We hope everybody has a great week. Let's stay. Let's celebrate for a while, and I hope you have a great week. God bless you.